Was it, is this a WCC or Big 12 size Coliseum? Uh, I, 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 I think probably Coliseum in Rome is 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 Big 12 for sure. This may be more Power Five, but this is like it's 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 kennel. It was it's the, the kennel like. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty, pretty big time. Size. Pretty big time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports every Saturday only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. The keeper for Jaron Hall follows Lupini into the end zone. Touchdown. Jaron Hall navigates his way into the end zone. Ten, the five, the pylon, the touchdown. Puka Nakua. We are live at Studio B with your day-to-day BYU sports play-by-play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. How do you feel about that Puka Nakua play? Because I actually don't like watching that because I remember the rest of the game after that. Lynchburg it was, a great, it was a great play. I went to a very dark place in Lynchburg. <laughs> Most do. It was, it was a rough trip. Thankfully, <laughs> that thankfully was terrible. our interview with Dax Milne in Washington, D.C. the next day like kind of salvaged it. something. <laughs> so I thank you, Dax. I see that, and I have PTSD from the game. <laughs> I almost don't want to see any Liberty highlights. No Oregon highlights, no Liberty highlights. Wasn't BYU up 14-3 in that Liberty game? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the score. I put it out of my mind. I put it out of my mind. Uh, Joining us now, hopefully uh, he's forgotten it too. Executive editor of College Football Network, friend of the program, Cam Miller. Cam, welcome back to the show. Uh, Hopefully you don't have Lynchburg on the mind when it comes to BYU football. (laughs) No, I don't. But I definitely have that uh, that Eugene game against Oregon. Because I I cannot look at the whole picture for Bo Nix. And unfortunately, some of those highlights are just you know, spattered all throughout. I can't yes. get away from them. Yes. We've been discussing expectations. Oh, that's not how I wanted Monday to start. <laughs> and Cam, whether they're too high or too low, obviously you're a member of the media, so you kind of take a unique approach to this. But what would qualify as high expectations for BYU in year one of the Big 12? At this point, it's a winning record in conference play. I think you take out, you scrub away the, the first two games of the, of the season, and you look at a winning record in conference play, which obviously puts them into a bowl game like you guys were t- just talking about. But to me, seven wins, eight wins, that's pretty high. Uh, I, I do think six and a half is right on hit the nail on the head. Okay, But there are some winnable games that I really think six and a half is on the low end. And this is because BYU uh, lost its quarterback, running back, main receiver, left tackle, defensive coordinator, right? So there's unknown there. Of the known, what do you, how do you feel about the, the Keaton Slovis and Aiden Robbins and Jay Hills of the world that are the new guys at those spots? Yeah, they've proven that they can be the players that we, we know them to be in new surroundings. I think that's the, the, the big thing to look at in the transfer portal how well do these guys acclimate themselves and how quickly do they do so in unfamiliar territories? And so, you know, I think we'll get to it. Why Keaton Slovis moved up for me in the rankings and it's all, all signs pointing to him picking up the playbook, understanding what he's doing. He's the new leader. So to me, you know, like I mentioned to you guys as well, it's uh, it always comes back to quarterback for me. And so with Keaton Slovis acclimating himself, becoming the leader of the team, he knows it. everyone else knows it. He can run the offense pretty well, um, and if he gets back to the Keaton Slovis, we all know he can be or, or showed he was at USC a few years ago. You know, the six and a half is definitely on the low end. Let's stay with the Slovis topic here, and you mentioned he moved up in your rankings of all 
14 Big 12 quarterbacks. Now he's number six. He was number seven. You alluded to it a little bit, but what's the ceiling, Cam, for Keaton? What, what, what could he become in the Big 12 quarterback rankings if he has a great season? You know, six, seven is probably his floor at this point, but there's uh, you know, one or two he could pass with a few really good games. He's got a lot of work to get to, I think, the top two. We, we've seen Dylan Gabriel as one of the most electric college football quarterbacks uh, in pre- recent years. 12,000, 13,000 career passing yards. That's ridiculous for Gabriel. Quinn Ewers has the, uh, the uh, arm talent and the skill that we all know he has. Can he stay healthy for the full season? That's uh, that's the big question to me. But, you know, 3-4, that's his ceiling, where, where he can reach. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets back to there. And then we're ultimately talking about him as, as a guy who's going to be drafted high in the NFL draft. He, he has the talent. He has everything you want from a quarterback, from the intangible perspective. Can he put together a full 12-game season, ultimately 13-game season, and really put forth his best effort on a consistent basis? That's all he has, has to prove this year. Will Kansas be as good as Jalen Daniels will be? Because he's getting a lot of pub. He had great numbers, obviously, before he got hurt early in the season, and Kansas made this huge splash. He's got to be one of the top three in the league, probably, in your opinion. Absolutely. At his best, he was up there. Let's we at the end of September, he was in the legitimate talk for Heisman Trophy. I mean, that's how good he was last year. Does he get back to that? I mean, he returned to the field and led them to their dramatic bowl game victory in overtime. So he still has that talent. He's an underrated passer, which I think everybody looked at him and, and wanted to slap the dual threat label on him. But he had some really accurate passes. Some very good progressive rethrows. Jalen Daniels is more than just a, a dual threat, a runner quarterback first. He throws the football really well, and honestly, that's you know that's where it is. Right there at number three, Jalen Daniels, and then you're, you're talking about a wide-open race right after him. Cam Meller is the executive editor of College Football Network. He's on BYU Sports Nation. He covered very closely Jaron Hall, Puka Nakua, Blake Freeland, who have all been drafted into the National Football League, and we'd love to get your thoughts on the fit for each of those three, Cam, beginning with Jaron Hall to the Minnesota Vikings. I loved it. In fact, I was calling for it for more than a month. It happened. I, I just like him behind Kirk Cousins. How do you feel about Jaron Hall with the Minnesota Vikings? I'm not saying this just because I'm here on uh, on my favorite program across the nation. I'm saying this because I published this. <laughs> I think it's the best fit from all the quarterbacks. Yes. Uh, yes. There, there's a the spot he lands, let's face it, it's immaculate. He learns from Kirk Cousins, a consummate professional, a great guy to be behind. One year left. It's a massive contract if they want to re-sign him. All Jared has to do is take what Kirk is showing him, learn the playbook. He gets a full year behind Kirk Cousins, uh, one of the better quarterbacks, whether we all want to admit it or not, of the past decade in the NFL. Uh, at least consistently, we know what you're going to get from him. Yeah. And Jaron can put together, you know, a great offseason package and ultimately become the next guy if he's if he's ready to do so in 2024. I think it's it's shaping up if he does take that proverbial next step and adjust to the speed uh, quickly. He can take over for the Vikings sooner than later. How about Puka Nakua with the Rams and Blake Freeland with the Colts? What are your thoughts there? You know, Nakua had to go to a good spot. I knew a GM was going to fall in love with him. I didn't really expect it to be the the Rams, but when you look at their roster, you realize how depleted they are at wide receiver. And so Nakua, what, slides into wide receiver four from the moment he was drafted at least. And this is a guy who I don't have to tell anybody listening right now or watching right now. uh, He's an electric guy with a football in his hands. And so McVay finding a way to get him in the offense, I can see it happening. And honestly, I can see him being one of those late-round steals that uh, nobody really was calling for except for a few of us in the national media. Same with Blake Freeland. Uh, I think he goes to a situation with the Colts where he's not pressed into duty right away. We saw at the Senior Bowl, he he needs some time to sink his hips, keep his pad level low, 
work on balance through strength and, and, and through contact. And I think at the Colts, he can get that done. They've been known to uh, put together some impressive offensive linemen after year one, year two. And so I think he's got to another great fit. Cam, we're looking at the BYU roster in 2023, and we're starting to see Kingsley Suomataia, at least according to Todd McShay, show up at number 28 in the first round. CBS Sports said top 10. Top 10 at number 9 overall. What's the ceiling for Kingsley Suomataia? Is he a sure thing first-round pick in your mind? Right now, it depends, right? So... I guess let me uh, let me ask the question: Is he shifting to left tackle, or is he going to yes. stay put on the on the outside? Yep, he's going to be left tackle. So there you go. I think you know we're looking at the projection for him. If if Paris Johnson was able to do that, he moved from guard to left tackle at Ohio State. If Kingsley does that now and has a dominant year, which we've all seen capable of him, he's amazing on the move. So actually, I kind of liken him to Paris Johnson. Mm-hmm. He was terrific on the move. If he improves his pass sets, absolutely, left tackles are always going to be the dominant need for a team that needs an offensive lineman. So, yes, Kingsley could be – he has that ceiling that he can reach. There is a top-10 pick. I, I don't have any trouble saying that. BYU's produced its last two starting quarterbacks as NFL draft picks. Um, last two left tackles, uh, last two primary wide receivers. Do you feel like, uh, you know, besides Kingsley, that Keaton Slovis could become an NFL draft pick next year perhaps? Absolutely. I, I think it's the three Ks up front. It's Kingsley. It's – it's Cody Epson, it's Keaton Slovis, and then you those those three are almost your locks at this point. Mm. Keaton has some work to do to atone for what he, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh year, I guess you could say, um, and, and make sure we're, we're back to where he is, but he's got the talent to be drafted, and we know Cody is is electric, um, and so I think just a full season of him, uh, and I will see him drafted high. Wow. Okay, so Cody Epps, we feel like he's an NFL guy too, but you, you're calling him a lock. Uh, Cam, why is it that you're so high on Cody? It, you know, we're going to see him in a, a bigger use package this year, right? And I, I think we've seen the way that NFL GMs evaluate and, and then ultimately value wide receivers with the ball in their hands. It's getting higher and higher for these guys that are electric with the ball in their hands. You know, I I, I didn't I don't remember seeing one person say Puka was going to be a, a surefire draft pick and I said it just was going to take one GM to fall in love with him and and Mm. there he is going early day three I think it's the same with Cody where you're going to have a full package of of seeing what he's able to do with the ball in his hands this year 12 games of you know the the top guy it looks like or or will look like to me and it's just going to take one one guy honestly it would not surprise me to see him go day two um, or at least at the latest uh, early rounds of, of day three is there anybody else on your radar Isaac Rex or otherwise so I have Rex and Robbins, uh, both the offensive guys. And then, you know, there's a, there's probably a list after that. Isaac just needs to showcase he's healthy and can stay healthy as well. It seems to be, uh, you know, ultimately the curse of the position. But he's, you know, a massive man with a massive catch radius. And if he's penciled into a, a tight end two role in the NFL, this is a guy who is the goal line threat, the red zone threat, the, uh, you know, downs go type of guy. And so Rex to me, Robbins, massive man. You know, he's probably not going to be the fastest guy or a, or a full three down back in the NFL, but he's absolutely one of those guys in sort of a LeGarrette Blunt role in the NFL that could carve a ditch for himself. Cam's great to talk with you. Uh, before we go, how do we find more of your elite material? Collegefootballnetwork.com. It's all college football going forward for me. No more uh, NFL coverage. So we're just focusing on all 133, soon to be 134 teams going forward. Uh, and shining light on all the little guys across the uh, the nation that need the, the love. <laughs> Next time we're going to ask you about Sam Houston. I'm dead serious. Yeah. 
the opener. Let, let, let me know. I got Grant Gunnell content out the uh, the wazoo. Anybody that watched uh, Arizona back in 2019 knows who I'm talking about. All right. You got it. it. Cam, great to talk with you, man. Thanks so much. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media for content throughout the uh, 24-hour day. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Here's Jerem. I am Spencer. It's a Monday, and it's time to whip it. The Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. The Gambling Gauchos podcast made a list of the most underrated quarterbacks from each Big 12 school. So, BYU's Big 12 here yep. soon. That's exciting. I heard that. Uh, named Robbie Bosco is BYU. Is Robbie Bosco the most underrated quarterback in BYU history? Can you finish third in the Heisman voting and be considered underrated? Yes. Yes. That, probably because he falls behind Jim McMahon and Steve Young. Like he was anti ever. The immediate. Well, he was immediately following Jim McMahon and Steve Young in that. Order. I mean, in the conversation, he does not get brought up as one of the top guys. I don't. He's Good. underrated for sure. I don't know that he's the most underrated quarterback. For me, the answer to that question is John Walsh. He's outside the A list. He's right there, though. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like had he stayed one more year, Jerem, had he decided not to leave early, yeah, he probably would have made an NFL roster and would be discussed more with the all-time passing yards, all-time touchdown passes yeah. conversations. But because he opted to leave early and then he didn't get didn't make it in the NFL, he kind of just got lost in the wake. Like John Walsh to me had a chance following Ty Detmer to be the next dude. But I feel like he's the most underrated of any BYU quarterback. Robbie's a pretty good pick when it comes to the sort of like, oh yeah, that guy. But it's like this dude won a national, national championship, championship, second team All-American. You mentioned it, third in the Heisman, third round pick. That's pretty good. Like, no one has that resume at BYU. Not a, literally, he's the only one that can say, I want a net. But maybe because he's not discussed as much as McMahon, That's why Young, he's and Denver, he's the most underrated. And like, frankly, um, that's, okay, that's proper in that conversation, but it doesn't mean he's not underrated because he's rated kind of low given what that his LinkedIn says right there. My outside shot was also Max Hall. Like Max Hall, 32 and seven as a starter, incredible. Yeah. But he, but he didn't win any like major awards, right? So. He competed in the modern era where it was harder. Yeah. If Max Hall puts up those numbers in the 70s, he is just like Mark Wilson. He is just like me. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's stay with the college football theme here and extend it into the NFL, if you will. What's the best BYU football weekend road trip this season? Not just BYU's game in mind, mm -hmm. but maybe some potential National Football League scenarios around. So there are uh, five opportunities within like four hours uh, from the location of the football game for BYU on a Saturday to an NFL game the next day or soon thereafter. The best option for me due to time is because it's within an hour is at Kansas, September 23rd, you can see the Chiefs host the Bears. The rest of them are a little far away. You got to jaunt a little bit, four and a half, three hours, three hours, 4.15 to get to some of these other locations. But it depends uh, just how far you want to go. So um, if it's an 11 a.m. or noon start the next day, you know, it's going to be an early morning. But there's some fun opportunities for fans if they want to go to a game on a Saturday and then go see some NFL guys play, you have yeah, a chance. Yeah, if I had to pick one, I'm going with September 23rd and 24th because it's BYU's first Big 12 game ever. 
at Kansas. And it's the second most winnable game on the Big 12 schedule, I would argue. Fun quarterback matchup between Keaton Slovis and Jalen Daniels. Is Kansas for real? Like, BYU's going to be a good test for them? No, but Daniels is. Yes, he is. Kansas football's not. And then you get to go support like Andy Reid the next wins. day and Matt Bushman. Maybe Matt Bushman's on the active roster. It's a, we know you. It's it's at least Andy. It's at least you Andy Reid. I hope Reed. it's Matt as well. And it's very convenient, as you pointed out. The best NFL game, if your emphasis is there, mm -hmm. probably Saints at Texans. If you want to watch Taysom and Jamal play in Houston, you make about a three and a half hour jaunt south of Dallas-Fort Worth, and then you can watch those guys play after BYU plays at TCU. The I defending had a four national runners-up. Four and a half on Google Maps, so it's a ways away, but yeah. Florida State's athletic director, Michael Alford, sounded off on the ACC's media deal, which they signed a long time ago for a long time. Specifically, Alford wasn't very happy that UCF, new Big 12 member, will be getting a bigger media deal than the Seminoles saying, that's just not acceptable to us. <laughs> is this another win for the Big 12? Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's not just the Pac-12. <laughs> it's other conferences now, too. It reminds me of, like, the quarterback contracts in the NFL, though. Like, because it's always, like, a one-upping scenario. At yeah. one point, Derek Carr was the highest-paid quarterback in the National Football League. It's not going to last. Like, at some point, the ACC will get a better deal than the Big 12 has. It just kind of depends on timing. Like, the next deal is always going to be more, it seems. So for now, yeah, like the Big 12 has a better contract than the ACC, but could they renegotiate? Could they come to the table and like make something better? Probably, but it's fun for now. Hey, Derek Carr was like, yeah, I'm the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. ACC signed this super long deal. You shouldn't sign more than like a six year deal in my opinion, or eight. Like just times change. You can get paid more quicker. Granted, if your league stinks and people leave, now you're in the situation like the Pac-12 where you're trying to figure it out post USC, UCLA. So yeah, great. It's, it's very fun. <laughs> it's, it's also mid-May. The BYU women's volleyball team currently on a foreign trip that includes stops in Turkey, Greece, and they are currently in Egypt. This is awesome. It's awesome. They posted pictures over the weekend of the team on a camel ride in front of the pyramids. In Cairo, how about that? <laughs> That's cool. Uh, Jeremy, have you ever ridden a camel? I actually have randomly, but it was in Phoenix at the zoo. They're just like, hey, pay like six bucks. You can ride this camel. So Ben and Tate and I got up on a, a camel. So you've was, ridden a camel. Fun. Yeah, it was fun. Okay. I, I would. Uh, yeah. Someone just texted me. It's three and a half hours if if Spencer's driving. Truth from Dallas to you. Hundred percent. Yeah. Got that radar detector on there. Hundred percent. Have you ridden a camel? I have not ridden a camel. <laughs> it was. You're pretty high up there. I would prefer it be in Egypt next time, and not Phoenix, but desert like yeah, uh, somewhere in front, of, in front of one of the seven wonders of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was cool, man. It was cool. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. This is your day-to-day -day BYU Sports play-by-play. -play. We are live in Studio B alongside Jerem Jordan. I am Spencer Linton. Expansion is on the mind again. And it's due primarily to some recent articles that have brought up just maybe the ACC being involved with the Pac-12. And will the Big 12 be involved here? To join us for that conversation now is the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel, who's hanging out in the Cougar Council Room. Greg, welcome Hello, to BYU Greg. Sports Nation. <laughs> Good to see you again, guys. All right. Uh, like I mentioned, expansion is back on the mind. Uh, the idea that 
the Magnificent Seven from the ACC uh, may be looking to change TV contracts or move conferences. Of course, the Pac-12 has been involved here. How aggressive, if you were in charge in any capacity in the Big 12, would you be in pursuing other entities, whether it's the ACC or the Pac-12? Well, we already know the, that, that Brett Yormark has an aggressive mindset. Yes. And you know that he has many irons and multiple fires at this point. On both coasts, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and and uh, if, if somebody's going to shift and somebody's going to move, I don't see how Brett Yormark's not going to be involved one way or the other in, in uh, adding to his conference's stature and prominence. Now, the, the question becomes how big and how big is too big and, and what size is safe. Um, 12 feels like a good number, obviously, for a lot of good reasons, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if 14 or 16 ends up being the final number if they're the right two or four teams uh, to be additive. And that's the biggest thing for about your mark has been we can't be diluted, we have to be additive. And what really adds cachet and value and eyeballs to your league becomes the question here. Mm. And it's interesting because the grant of rights in the ACC was a 20-year deal through 2036. It feels like they're just stuck. So, yes, the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> NC State's in the Mag Seven. What is super interesting. But there are a few sort of free agents-ish out there, like UConn's interesting in basketball, Gonzaga, obviously, in basketball. How basketball-y does the Big 12 want to be? They're yeah. already good enough. And then, of course, uh, Pac-12 poaching at some point is an option. So we'll see what happens here. But... What is too big? Because we saw the old whack with BYU in it, and obviously that wasn't those weren't Power Five schools. That was too much. That was too much. Um, what what is too much at some point? Like, do you think we'll see a twenty team league at some point? Yeah, I mean, I, there's been talk of the twenty team super conference, and and I, I don't know. I, I think once you get to that. You, you take almost all of what makes college sports special. Um, I'm kind of a romantic when it comes to college sports, and the things that make some of the things that make college sports special are geography, rivalry, and history. You want to have those elements in, in your group. And I realize that, that in the Big 12, BYU right now is a geographical outlier, and, and rivalries will emerge. But there is some history, and it doesn't feel like BYU is a misfit in the Big 12 at all. In fact, it feels like a great fit and the best fit that BYU could have right mm -hmm. now. But I think the, the larger you get, the more you take away from what makes college sports really special. And I hope that can be retained with whatever the Big 12 chooses to do. I do think that, that um, bringing in another Western team or two would, yeah. would actually help BYU. It makes yes. BYU less of an outlier that way. So I, I've actually been a fan of that being uh, part of the strategy. Uh, if they choose to go far, farther up the East Coast or into the Southeast, so be it. it, it uh, ultimately, Brett Yormark's vision is a coast-to-coast -coast conference be in all four time zones, have windows from morning till night, and have your product viable. And I can see that happening. Uh, but I, there is a point where I think you know, there is a too big component in this. And I want to retain as many of those what I think are special collegiate sports elements as possible. Greg Rubel is with us on BYU Sports Nation. As it stands, 14 teams in the Big 12 for at least one more year. Texas and Oklahoma take off for the SEC on July 1st of 2024. Then it's down to 12, maybe, we think, for a year, <laughs> unless something crazy happens. But as, if, if you look at BYU and the 14 teams involved now, including the Cougars, for this first year of college football, expectations is always a heavy and fun topic. And right now we're seeing the Vegas Lions who, their job is to make money, Greg. It's just to, to make money. And Entice. Exactly. Yes. They set the line, depending on which book you look, look at, at four and a half, five, or five and a half. So how do you take that type of information and manage your own expectations when we all want BYU to win every game? Well, and, and overseason could be six, right? And six, to me, is a really fine starting, sp starting spot in the sure. Big 12. If you're bowl eligible in year one of Big 12 membership, I think it's a win. 
And so let's go with, uh, let's set it at six, say. Um, uh, not to take things to, for granted, but uh, your first two games are against uh, a, a first-year FBS and an FCS. And that, again, Sam Houston just coming out of FCS. So let's say you can, you can get to 2-0 to start your year. Well, now you're trying to find four P5 wins in 10 games. You can do it. Is that doable? Yeah. I, I think we'd all agree that it is. That's a historical number that BYU wins. BYU wins 40%. Right. Yeah. And this team, we've been talking about it, is more prepared for this moment than any other BYU oh, team they're, they're, in they're, history. The cupboard is by no means bare right? for BYU going in. They lost draft picks, but they're, in a, I, think, a, I think, a pretty good spot going into the Big 12. And, and, and I think the underdog mentality, the chip-on-the-shoulder mentality, the first-year uh, phenom, and all these things might come into play and really have us in a few months going, wow, that was even better than we thought it could go. But that said... If you can find four wins out of those 10 P5 games, which is doable, uh, you find yourself at a six-win season, you find yourself playing in the postseason in your first year in the Big 12, and I think that would be, uh, be fantastic. And I think when you're breaking down sort of first half, second half of uh, the season, I think BYU's got to go out and get four wins in the first six because that back six feels tough. Um, and who knows what injuries and up to and for both happens. teams, for both sides too. You don't know what, what the other team will look like sure. on the back half of the season too. Yes, and and getting you know at Kansas, upstart team from last year, really good quarterback in Jalen Daniels. Cincinnati at home on a Friday night, which is going to be absolutely juiced. Mm-hmm. Like that, that night is going to feel like Utah 2021, Baylor 22. I, I think that's going to be a special Arizona night, State similar vibe. Yes, uh, yeah, it's like yeah. yeah. Lavelle Edwards Stadium is packed. Night game. BYU is tough to beat it uh, there. Okay, let's talk uh, soccer. Before um, we get to real quick, uh, two components that I think will play into all of this that you have to have health and depth. Yes. And, and just uh, yeah. I, I think the more you go along, just keep those two words in mind. Do they have the health? Do they have the depth? And I think they've, making step, they've taken steps certainly toward the depth part of it mm-hmm. by the guys they're bringing in. It just increases the strength of each position group right now. And they're not done, which is great. Right. They're still going, right. which is awesome. Okay, soccer. Uh, you went with the women's soccer team to Europe. Um, I first want to uh, have you show some of your favorite photos <laughs> from this um, and tell us what it is we're looking at because you guys went on this incredible journey. Well, first of all, how grateful am I for the invitation uh, that Jen Rockwood uh, issued to, to join the team? And she did the same thing in 2016 with the Italy trip. So I've been on two foreign tours with uh, women's soccer, and they've both been unbelievably horizon-expanding experiences. Just unbelievable. So first of all, gratitude to Jen and her staff for involving the radio guy uh, and taking him on the trip. Um, but yeah, this trip was... And now keep in mind, I'm going to show, I think, six pics. I took hundreds of photos. Okay, I took <laughs> hundreds of photos. Yes. Okay, a lot of them showed up on my social media, yep. Twitter, Instagram, but a lot did not. I've got a lot in the phone. So I just... And it's hard to pick you five or six. You packed a lot of film. <laughs> I did. I was developing film like you would so not believe. So much development. Uh, but so these are just a handful. So we're going to start with Vienna. Now, I'm skipping the palaces. We visited two palaces in Vienna, Mm. but St. Stephen's Cathedral Mm. in Vienna, uh, I think, was the first. Yeah, here we go. Uh, This is is St. Stephen's Cathedral. The ornateness and the size of this thing, and it's not that old. It's only 500 years old. Only. Um, (laughs) Only. Oh, it's a newer one. Right. Uh, But I I was just, I I just walked around, and, and again, you can see a little bit of the detail there, but the amount of detail in this building was 
just, uh, just staggering. So this is St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna, and there was a lot to see in Vienna. Uh, we, two palaces we're not going to see, but that was Vienna. If you look close, you can t- see the hunchback in Notre Dame. <laughs> we went from Vienna to Salzburg, and Salzburg blew me away. Salzburg included a trip out to the Lakes District. And this is a fix. I think you've actually had this pick on your show. This is a pick we took of the girls at the Lakes District, which is just outside of Salzburg. Wow. And it's a series of lakes all surrounded by mountains. This in is pretty mountain. representative of what you're looking at. And it was we went from lake to lake and town to town. And there were so many charming picks that I didn't include here of these little villages on the lakeside. So the Lakes District was unbelievable. And that was outside of Salzburg. Back in Salzburg, there is a castle, a fortress called the Hohen Salzburg Fortress. This is the view you get from the top of the fortress. Wow. That's Salzburg from the top of the fortress. And, and that's just one of the many views I had from the top of the fortress. Salzburg blew me away. Uh, birthplace of Mozart. And you can Woo. see that uh, in, in, in the center part of Salzburg. And that was just one of the beautiful views you get from the fortress. Unbelievable. Um, from, uh, from Austria, we then headed down to Croatia. But we stopped at the ice caves. Eisvriesenwelt. And this is a picture <laughs> on the way to the ice caves. But you can yeah. see the Austrian Alps in the background. And this is a stop on the way. It's a hike. It's a gondola. It's a hike. And then you're in the ice caves for an hour. And the ice caves themselves are fantastic. I have some social media pics of those. We won't see them here. But this was on the way to the ice caves in the Austrian Alps. And the girls were having a blast. And I just love that shot. It kind of shows everything that Austria is. Then you're down to Croatia. And Croatia... Um, just blew my mind. And and we were down in Split, and we were in Zadar. We don't have pictures of that, but we have pictures here of Plitvici Lakes National Park in Croatia. Mm. And this is one of the countless waterfalls that, that exist in this. There are 16 lakes and so many waterfalls you cannot count. And this is a great pick of the team in front of what they call the big waterfall. Incredible. It's called the big waterfall. So there you go. <laughs> Appropriately. <laughs> yeah. And so up to northern Croatia uh, on the way out. Well, by the way, we skipped totally Slovenia. We were in Ljubljana, Slovenia, which is f- fantastic. On the way back out, this is Pula, Croatia. This is the arena or the Colosseum in Pula. Awesome. This was, the construction of this began in like 42 B.C., and ended in the first century A.D. Wow. And this is one of one of six surviving Roman Colosseums, because what you don't get or what I didn't get before was that what you see in Croatia is a lot of what you're going to see in Italy. It's right across the Adriatic. And so, so yeah. much of what was happening in Italy was happening, happening in Croatia. So this Colosseum, the arena in Pula, Croatia, is reminiscent of the Colosseum in Rome, which I've also seen, and it blew me away as well. Was it, and is it, this a WCC or Big 12-sized Colosseum? Uh, I, 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 I think probably Colosseum in Rome is 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 Big Twelve for sure. This may be more it's Power Five, but this is like it, it's 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 kennel. It was it's the kennel like. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty, pretty big time. Size. Pretty big time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So and again, we skipped a lot, but that's just a few of what we <laughs> so uh, had going on. It's amazing. We ended it's up in Italy and flew out of Venice, and uh, yeah. Wait another four years and see if another what invite what comes. Trip, yeah. It's a Greg Rebell <laughs> photo journal on BYU Sports That's Station. Awesome, How's real estate down by the fjord, Greg? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look into that for me. Rick yeah. Stevens, a.k.a. Greg Rebell here. <laughs> All right, we do need to talk about the soccer schedule, and it's going to make your life very busy combined with football with yeah. the Thursday-Monday setup for BYU women's soccer around Saturday 
for college football. So what do you think of the women's soccer schedule overall in the Big 12? Well, the first thing you do know is that the Big 12 stays away from football Saturdays. They let football own the Saturday. I love that, actually, because yeah. then yeah. everyone gets their due. Right, and, a good, and from, from an on-campus standpoint and facilities, it just makes it easier yeah. to have football have its own day. And so the rest of the league will be on Sundays, of course, but BYU bounces to Monday for obvious reasons. That's one big change. Um, and then, of course, it's a, ch- it's a challenge, and Jen was on your show yesterday talking about that challenge of not having a Sunday available. How do you work around it? It'll get worked around. They'll find a way. There's no doubt about that. And it could be that they make some alterations in their travel plans to give them as many days home as possible or days recovering as possible. Um, it's a challenge and it's a challenge no one else will have in the league except for the teams that play BYU on those Mondays. But I'm fully confident Jen can find a way to get this done. There are only two back-to-back road weekends Thursday, Monday. BYU have one back-to-back home weekend Thursday, Monday. So we'll see if that evens out over time as well. Um, and most teams BYU's played, or a lot of the teams BYU's played before. And I think the big Big 12, top of the Big 12 and top of the WWCC, pretty comparable. You might find a little more strength the deeper you go down in the Big 12 than you did in the WCC. But I think at the very top, the two leagues are pretty representative uh, of, of high-caliber competition. So BYU's had a great on-ramp. I think the on-ramp for football was perfect with independence, playing P5s more and more every year. And the on-ramp for soccer in the Big 12 was good because the WCC was so good at the top of the league. Awesome stuff. Greg, thanks for uh, the tour of Europe. And, uh, of course, the discussion on expectations for football and soccer. And shout out to baseball. Let's cross fingers. Come on. It's got to be a Come lot on. has to happen. You got to win three against Pepperdine, and Gonzaga's got to win three somehow at Santa Clara. That gets to BYU. That gets BYU to Las Vegas. That's the only formula right now to get BYU to the WCC tournament. So in a year where BYU has beaten every team in the league at least one time, um, you know, series were kind of elusive. Series wins were kind of elusive. Yeah. But a series sweep is now needed here against Pepperdine Let's and go. cross fingers and hope for get some it help. Done. All yeah. right, get it done. Good luck to the back All right. Greg. You bet. Okay, if you missed any interviews, D Blue shows uh, European picks from Greg Rubel games. You can find them on BYUSN.com or download the free BYU TV app. Still on the way, if you could choose one BYU player to have an injury-free career. That man. Who would it be and why? Why is it not Taysom Hill? (laughs) This is BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation live in Studio B. The Big 12 BYU women's volleyball schedule is out for all to see. It opens with a Cougar versus Cougars matchup in the Smithfield House Wednesday, September 20th. Houston's a really good program. Baylor then comes in on September 23rd and... Two at Texas on September 28th and 29th to begin, Jim. A lot of fun with the schedule. Five teams were ranked in the new Big 12 last year in the final poll of the ABCA, um, and two received votes. There's seven of that's seven of 13 teams that at least got votes. I that's mean, amazing. including BYU, which is crazy. The national champs, of course, second most ranked teams in the final poll to the six in the Big Ten. And yesterday I spoke with women's volleyball head coach Heather Olmstead from Cairo, Egypt, where the team is on their foreign trip, to talk about the schedule, riding camels, seeing the pyramids, and much more. Heather, how's Egypt? It looks amazing on social media. It's been a good time. It's been pretty amazing. We're happy to be here. And actually, we fly out tomorrow to Turkey, so it's been great. Why choose these specific countries of Egypt, Turkey, and Greece? 
Yeah, I think it's just a great combination of different culture, different parts of the world, somewhat uh, close together where we could do some some flights that weren't too bad and, and be able to see very, very different cultures from Egypt to Turkey and then Greece and get some different food, get some different volleyball. Uh, and so far, you know, Egypt hasn't disappointed. It's been it's been pretty fantastic. The people here have been wonderful. And uh, we're looking forward to, to getting hit up to other countries. More on the trip coming up in a moment, but let's talk about the news of the day. Of course, the conference schedule is out, which is exciting. We've been waiting for BYU to be in the Big 12. Here we are. You've seen this for a minute. So what stuck out when you first saw it and what do you what do you like and and what kind of has your attention? Yeah, I think it's super exciting to release the Cougar Nation and the public, you know, what what our fall is going to look like at home and away and get people excited about traveling with us and and possibly coming to the Smithfield House and seeing us play at home. I think just the opportunity to play new teams and new places and, and learn about the style of plays is exciting. I think that that's the number one thing that sticks out is just a new challenge for us with all these teams and figuring out, you know, how we can compete with them. And for sure, being able to play the defending national champs, Texas is always a highlight. And so I think that's really neat for our team to be able to get to Austin and, and play matches out there. In terms of how it uh, shook out, you play some teams once, some teams twice. What's kind of been the explanation from the league as to how that shook out? Yeah, I, I've only been on one phone call and it was more of a, hey, the, the new teams can sit in and listen. And we weren't a part of those conversations at all. I, I, I don't even know why they went to that format. And so we're excited to, to play, you know, home and away with, with who we've got on our schedule. And that'll change the following year when, when two members exit the conference and we'll, we'll have a different look and format and we haven't been given any word on what that looks like. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's unique. It's going to be a challenge uh, just the way that, you know, you're not playing everyone the same amount of times and home and away. It's, I think it's going to be interesting for our team and for, for our fans to, to follow along. Uh, Houston on September 20th as the opener is really fun. That's a team that, uh, you know, finished 17th in the country last year, Baylor number 15 on, uh, you know, a couple days later. So out of the gate, you, you play some great volleyball and the West coast conference has had tremendous volleyball. And now you kind of up the ante a little bit with the national champs and a few more teams that kind of bring it week to week. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're excited just to, to get these new teams in the Smithfield house and open up with Houston. I think that's a great match for us to have our debut match and to welcome Houston and, and go from there and then get Baylor, like you said. So there's a lot of good teams in the big 12 and we're going to, have our hands full and we're excited for the challenge and we're ready to, to see how our team fares against them. Uh, end of the season at West Virginia at TCU. This is going to be a different kind of travel than you've had, right? Going into LA and San Francisco and Portland and so on. Absolutely. We're, we're fired up. We get to spend Thanksgiving on the road and I don't know, there's no better place than to be with your team at that time of the year, you know, hopefully getting ready to finish out the year strong and um, make a run in, in, in the conference and hopefully in the NCAA tournament. So no complaints there. Excited, again, to see different parts of the country and to be together. And um, I think it'll be exciting. A foreign trip doesn't mean you're going to have a good year, but for some reason it seems like you always have a good year when you have a foreign trip, like the chemistry of being off the court and going somewhere else. So is this the perfect year to have a foreign trip, the first year in the Big 12? Yeah, there's, there's multiple reasons. You know, we had four freshmen graduate early and get with us in January and we're adding a couple more freshmen and transfers. And so the opportunity for us to mesh, you know, we've got everyone here, but, but one player that will join us in the fall. And so 
just to be with each other and to get to know each other better in very unique circumstances and have those conversations and those experiences, that's going to serve us well. So yeah, it, it seems like teams have good years after. I, I know it's not a guarantee, but you just get a jump start on that connection and, and getting ready for the fall. And, and we're hoping that, that that's what does it for this, this group. And this trip has been postponed because of COVID. And we just felt like this, these seniors, you know, it was the right time with the combination of the freshmen and the new players to, to get this opportunity to come experience foreign, foreign countries and foreign, you know, teams and, and really challenge ourselves. Okay. You guys did something really cool that we talked about on the, on the show on Monday, which is the three graduates who missed graduation. Um, yeah. You packed their graduation stuff and took a photo in front of the uh, one of the pyramids. That is so awesome. What was that moment like? Yeah, you know, those three have been with us since January. So they've already graduated high school, but they ha- they still have the opportunity. They're all three local players. Uh, they actually walked next week and the dates ended up that they they would be missing that to be with our group. And we felt it was really important to 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 give them this opportunity to take some pictures that you know, they maybe are missing out on it at a stadium or with their, their friends and peers and family, which they hopefully still get at a different time and do something special and unique. I, I don't know, Jerem, there's something about that moment for those players and our, our staff and team to see and to know that everyone here is sacrificing a little bit. It's a long trip. We're all sacrificing to be here, um, but they sacrificed something that was important to them. And we wanted to make sure they were seen and heard. And uh, it was really, really a cool moment. Brielle Miller, Mia Lee, and uh, of course Selena Demuni. So, yep. that nice, nice job uh, to uh, to them. Yeah, Mia. Um, okay, Turkey and Greece. What are you guys going to see there? And uh, you mentioned you played the Egyptian national team already. How'd the match go, by the way? Yeah, we played last night, and uh, it was great. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, they have some great players. They have uh, an Olympian that plays sand that was on their indoor team and was there last night. They're, they're actually missing a couple players that are, that are D one players that play in college, but they're, they're older, they're mature. They, they have some swag and, you know, they, they were ready for us and uh, we didn't, we haven't practiced and done anything since last Tuesday. So we, we loved the opportunity to get out there. Warmups are different here. They're about 15 minutes. You don't get your typical serve pass. And mm. we love, we love the pace. It was, it was unique. It was challenging. Uh, they really served and passed well. And so it was a good opportunity for us to, to play our first match uh, on this trip. And I thought our, our players did a good job sticking together and we're, we're with them in a couple sets, but um, they're a good team and it was fun. In Turkey and Greece, give, give me a little tease, a little sense of what you guys are going to do. Yeah, we're, we're actually going to go visit uh, some younger refugee athletes in some areas. I don't know that we'll post that stuff, but we get a chance to interact with some some refugees in, in, in Turkey and, and do some work there as soon as we land tomorrow. And then we actually have three matches in our, a row against some of the, the pro teams in, in Turkey, which will be really good for our group to, to play some of the, the best teams in the world. And uh, they happen to be in, in Turkey. And that's going to be really cool for our players to match up against some some professional players and we'll see some, you know, mosques and, and see some of the sites of Istanbul and really get to experience the culture and the food there. And Greece, same thing. We're going to play the U19 team, their national U19 team. And we're going to see some different cities, a little bit outside of Athens. And um, we're going to do a yacht. We're going to take a, a cruise or a yacht, have a yacht day and go out to see some islands. Um, so you guys it's going by, yeah, it's going by so fast. And so we're, we're, we're just kind of trying to soak it in as best we can. 
Well, uh, congrats on uh, getting the Big 12 schedule. And, uh, you know, now I know what I'm doing this fall, uh, which is exciting. We look forward to it, of course, on ESPN Plus and whatnot. That all has to be shaken out a little bit. But uh, when can we expect the non-conference schedule to come out, by the way? Yeah, I think pretty quickly uh, after this gets released, we're still shoring up a few things. But we're excited about that. I think uh, there's going to be some interest in our opening match. So we're, we'll put that little teaser out there. and. Uh, hope to get that out soon so we can get excited about that but i think within a couple weeks after we get back sometime in june okay awesome uh safe travels and have fun thanks thanks thank you all thanks for having me the best of byu sports nation will be back after this on byu radio this is the best of byu sports nation on byu radio Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media for content throughout the day. It's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. It's everywhere. Yep. Welcome back to Studio B. I'm Jeremy. He's Dave. Let's get to today's headlines. BYU men's golf. They had a great day yesterday. Yeah! They advanced to the NCAA championships after finishing second at the NCAA regionals. Cougars rallied after starting the first round in ninth place. Zach Jones, BYU's low man, finished tied for fourth. The championships are next week in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's been since 1981. They brought the home, brought home the hardware. Could they do it again? They had a round low of four under, which was fantastic. They really brought it on day three. Congratulations to the guys. Baseball begins a must-sweep series against Pepperdine tonight, 8 Eastern on the BYU TV and BYU Radio apps. The Cougars need to win all three, and Gonzaga needs to beat Santa Clara in all three to make the six-team West Coast Conference Tournament in Vegas. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there is. BYU softball going to take on San Jose State later today in the National Invitational Softball Tournament. It's kind of a relative new thing. They play at 3 Eastern over in Fort Collins, Colorado. They'll face either Maryland or Cal State Northridge tomorrow. I love this tournament because it means that a team that's really good out of the WCC doesn't just have their season end because they didn't beat LMU. Yeah, Spencer and I Sunday were like, there's like an NIT in softball? I had no idea. Like, I, did anyone, did the team even know? But we're um, all for it. Yeah. All no, for it. It would have been nice to close out St. Mary's and play in the NCAA tournament, but right. this is the next best thing. Okay, mm. those are today's headlines, so let's whip it. Cougar Whip Round is presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Pro Football Focus ranked the 10 rookie wide receivers who were drafted into what they're calling the best situation, Pukanakua, in at number 10 of the 10. What are your expectations for Puka with the Rams? I expect him to be on the 53 all year. I think he's a great fit there. I think they have some opportunities, right? I would go 20 catches, 200 yards, two touchdowns. Nothing crazy. A lot of those uh, targets will go to Cooper Cup. Like 98%. <laughs> like, like a lot. All the other passes will go to Puka. No, uh, those, that's what I expect. I think that's fair. I think, uh, I love that he's in that situation. He can play with Cooper Cup and learn from him because he's got the skill set. And once he hones in, he's got a chance for a great pro career. Yeah, I think he'll have a good four-plus year career in the NFL. Let's go. <laughs> okay, Pete Thamel reports Tennessee is exploring building an entertainment district on campus to connect its football and basketball venues. When will BYU connect Lavelle Edwards Stadium to the Marriott Center, Dave? Uh, they're not going to. <laughs> 
However, shout out to David Almodova and his staff for what they are doing with Cougar Canyon, mm -hmm. which is still a relatively new concept. Yep. But they got bands out there, the cheerleaders, the football team comes marching through. BYU TV's game day is live right there. They have taken an ESPN game day experience and recreated it here in Provo. I don't need the two connected from the stadium to the Marriott Center. We got to park somewhere, so that's okay. But what they're doing with Cougar Canyon, I think, is is awesome. And, and BYU fans are just starting to still catch on. Like, hey, this is going on before the game. I'm going early. I got to show up early. Yeah. It, no, it looks great. Uh, they started in 2019. Obviously, took 2020 off. But it's a cool environment. And uh, yeah, what Tennessee is doing there. It all depends on how close those two are. I think the Marriott Center and Lavelle Edwards Stadium, obviously, yeah. too far away. And it's not as sort of convenient. Like at Texas. They, they have all kinds of campus buildings there, like it wouldn't work. Just depends on your situation. But Keenan Peely and uh, Gabe Judy Lally and company will enjoy the fruits of that perhaps in the future. We'll perhaps, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Might be a few years. Heather Dennich reported today that the Pac-12 is gonna provide enhanced in-game and pre-game access during college football broadcasts, including in-game interviews with head coaches. They'll allow select coaches to put a mic on uh, during the game warm-ups. Big 12's already been talking about doing this because Brett Yormark is so far out ahead of the Pac-12 in just about everything. But is this good for the game? Is this a good yeah, addition? Absolutely. Uh, we work in TV. We would love that access. We've wanted that access. Certain people want to allow that, and sometimes they don't, right, for various reasons. Um, but this, is, this, this isn't the Deion Sanders effect, but kind of. Like, hearing Deion in-game more is going to be really fun. And yeah, then in three years sure. when he's in the SEC or something, it'll be uh, somebody else. <laughs> I like the access mm -hmm. that game day gives BYU fans. Two hours before the game, we're in watching them warm up and dealing with all the, the stories of the day. I love that because no one gets that. Yeah. Uh, this is next level. This is put mics on guys. More access, the better. Let's yeah, go. Absolutely. Yesterday, reports came out that the NHL's Arizona Coyotes' uh, new stadium proposal was rejected, heating up rumors that perhaps they or another NHL team could move to Utah. Shout out to Rand Smith. Uh, would you rather have an NHL or a Major League Baseball team in the Beehive State? Because there's a push for both. I think the NHL is the safer play. They have 41 home games. Like more realistic? Yeah. Major League Baseball has 81 yeah. home games. The NHL has an arena. There's already an arena here. Major League Baseball would have to build one mm -hmm. on the taxpayers' backs for the most part, probably. Give it to Salt Lake Yeah. <laughs> We're in like Utah County. We're all right. But I, I, I think <laughs> give, go NHL first, kind of like Vegas did. Get the NHL first and then see where it leads you. Yeah. And it's been a game changer for Vegas to have the Knights. Utah already has the Jazz. You're throwing an NHL team. And then maybe, I still think we, we need a larger population for baseball. I just feel that. Unless the Cubs play every night. <laughs> nice. I would love both. I would love either. Uh, I think it'd be great. That'd be awesome, man. We, we, Utah loves sports. It's growing. Uh, that'd be great. I'll take, I'll take whatever. More is more, right? The things we love, Most more of the is time, more. more is more. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay, one of the greatest transfers in Cougar football history joins us next. Jordan Leslie on uh, Cougars in the NFL, receivers, and year one in the Big 12. This is BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYUSN, how will you gauge success for BYU football in year one of the Big 12? Is it solely record or something bigger? 
Plus, which BYU teams are most ready to compete for a Big 12 championship this year? Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Happy Wednesday, May 17th. I am Spencer Linton alongside AI art critic, Jerem Jordan. So Cosmo the Cougar tweeted that uh, <laughs> he asked AI to create an image of BYU mascot Cosmo the Cougar waiting, uh, sorry, riding a poem in a meadow, wearing a football uniform. Here are the results. The first one's just fine on the far right. Then the second one, Cosmo, you know, is in, in human form here uh, with a cougar head, and there's like a fox in the background slash cougar, and then suddenly he morphs into like a centaur cougar <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's, dear AI, I'm scared of you. Yeah. Uh, Cosmo uh, followed it. I up. love the caption from Cosmo's <laughs> Twitter account. We're also scared. It's getting, it's getting weird. Uh, like today's show, uh, also on the program, Jeff Hansen of 24-7 Sports. Speaking of weird like us, uh, we'll evaluate the post-spring transfers plus his fashion sense. Why RG3 is stoked for the new EA Sports College football game. Hilarious. I think he's the most excited. And Ty Detmer sits down with Tyler uh, Hawes in a new edition of The Mental Game. All rise and shout. It is time for What's Trending. Congratulations, Cougar Nation. It's been a long time coming, and here we are. It's a whole new ball game now for BYU football, and I could not be happier. It's going in. Touchdown! Touchdown, Chase Roberts! I'm really looking forward to, to doing some different things this year. Cougar Nation, it's time to continue. What's Trending, presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. There are many ways to gauge success for your favorite team, your favorite players. When it comes to BYU football, specifically in year one of the Big 12, we want to know how all of you are going to gauge what success looks like in your realm, in your paradigm, Jerem, because there are Several different things at play with BYU's uptick in competition and moving into a Power Five, but the history and tradition of winning in Provo, they all factor into this. How will you gauge success for BYU football in their inaugural Big 12 campaign? Making a bowl game is the number one thing, outside of the record itself. Uh, the record obviously gives us that. Um, where BYU fits in the Big 12 standings will be interesting as well. Looking at the three Power 5 leagues that play nine games, there are two that play eight, 61% finished four and five or better. Okay. Can BYU essentially okay. be in the top two-thirds of Power 5 teams who at least kind of approximate 500? Four and five would be acceptable, uh, absolutely, in year one of the Big 12 because you're hoping you go at least two and one in non-conference. And then, uh, you know, there's, there's other metrics out there that we'll look at, like sure. SP Plus and FPI and Sagar and F Plus, uh, Beta Rank. Also, this is one that doesn't weigh in uh, holistically, but like a little bit, is does BYU's attendance at home games go up? Like, is it almost sold out almost every game? Um, I'm interested to see kind of what Lavelle Edwards Stadium looks like. Now, that doesn't weigh into how I perceive the entire season, but that is a factor that I'm going to look at. But yeah, if BYU makes a bowl game, that means you won at least four Power Five of games of those ten. Um, and to me, that is good enough in year one. It's hard to know, yeah, we, again, because of where BYU comes with their unique stance of, and this is based on the fan base and, and success of the past, like there is this idea that BYU is just going to come in and because they've been playing an independent schedule, like it shouldn't be that much of a shock. And I don't think it will be, but there will still be somewhat of a difference. It's, it's still 
a tougher situation for BYU. They've never played 10 Power Fives in an individual season. So with that in mind, how do you, how do you expect uh, BYU all of a sudden to just maintain that hey, they're going to win at least eight games? I, I think that's, that's too much to Feels ask. That's too much to ask as far as just an ex, a baseline expectation. I set the over-under at six and a half. That is my expectation. If BYU can either beat Arkansas and then win four of the nine Power Five games they play in Big 12 competition, then you get to seven and five. If they lose to Arkansas, then I'm asking BYU to have a winning record in the Big 12. And maybe that's a little bit too much. Um, six out of the 10 teams last year in Big 12 play finished with at least four wins. So, yeah, what is what is the 60% out of 14 in league? Yeah, it's, that, it's that, Big be... 12, Pac-12, Big 10, right? Those combined, 61% of those teams go four and five so, or and that, better. And that's right, like 60% even. So six out of the 10 teams in the yeah. Big 12 last year yep. were four and five or better. I feel like BYU is good enough to do that. But it's a 14-team conference, so where will they place? Like, that's the one thing. And there's have. no divisions anymore. No. It's, like, it's, like, that is not a thing. You get who you get on your schedule. Yes. If you're one of the top two teams, you play in the Big 12 title game. Yes, the one which thing BYU we, will. The one thing we have really Hopefully. not discussed is an expectation for where we hope or where we think BYU will finish in a 14-team conference. That's June 3rd's trending two. Is it, is, <laughs> is it a top eight finish? You know, something that we should Feels tab as like, okay, yeah, if BYU can finish in the top, they finish eighth place. That's not even top half, Jerem. Like, if we ask BYU yeah, to finish that's top first half, first of the bottom half, yeah. I feel like an eighth place finish is probably where I would zero in at with BYU going four and five. Yeah. Right. If they go five and four, then mm. yeah, then they are. They probably will finish in like the top half of the conference, seventh place. One game over 500. 8.4 would be your 60% spot, right, of the Big 12. So it's like, yeah, between 8 and 9th would be around 4 and 5 estimated based on what happened last year. Of course, that was last year. Year to year could be a little An different. An 8th place finish feels fair. Like, if I expect you like, to go 4 and 5. I'd be fine with that. 4 and 5, I'm like, okay, you can finish in 8th place. Yes. If you're 5 and 4 in league, then I think you're at least 7th place. Yeah, maybe you're 6th, depending on it. Now listen, if Jaron Hall had returned, if Puka Nakua was back, if, if uh, Blake Freeland was still there, maybe we feel like BYU should be 5 and 4, 6 and 3. Like, the, the unknown of will Keaton Slovis be the USC guy his freshman year? Or will he be the Pitt guy? Like, He's healthy. We expect him to be pretty good. Will Aiden Robbins be as good as he was last year at UNLV? Like, I'm not expecting a 1,000-yard seasons from Aiden Robbins, but I would like somewhere in the 750 range. Mm -hmm. You know, how good is, uh, you know, Darius Lasseter, receiver? And, and those three for BYU that come back in, in Cody Epps and Chase Roberts and Keanu Hill, how good are they? Can the O-line answer the call of last year's team was number one in pass blocking with PFF, number 12 in run blocking, arguably the best O-line BYU's maybe ever had? Kingsley, Suomati is a first-round selection. Certainly you're confident there, but there's some other guys you're hoping are good. Like, how good is Caleb Etienne? Is Waylon Lapuahu good at guard? You lost uh, Clark Barrington, who is uh, an All-American guard. There are some, will the defense be, like, significantly better? What does that look like? The unknown of that is why we are keeping things low-key. The first thing is Big 12, but the second is we don't exactly know what this BYU team is. I, every year we're excited about that. When you return a quarterback and you return a couple of the skill positions and the coordinator, blah, blah, you kind of have a sense of what you have and what you could do. 
even then we might not know in the Big 12, but because we have those two big unknowns, that's why we're like, let's just make a bowl game and then see where we're at. Yeah, and again, it all depends on how you define success. Like, what is success? Some people say, well, it's only winning a championship. So it's competing for championships. So BYU's only had one. You know, if you don't win a championship, season. then uh, everything else is secondary. Well, okay, I, I, that mindset's pretty it, naive. It's to pretty me. crazy, right? I understand everybody wants to shoot for the stars. Certainly, the players and coaches. They they want to. You go can and, use that in your summer can, sales. Compete for a championship. Stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Go go and do your thing. Mm-hmm. But success to me, and I'm trying really hard to like keep the blue goggles far away here, is. Yeah, one, getting to a bowl game. That's the baseline for success. Like yes. The baseline. Sure. Yeah. To call Always. anything successful in, in Big 12 year one, you got to get to a bowl game. You check that box. Everything above that is just like an uptick. So if BYU wins seven games, then it's like that. Cool. It's another step in the right direction of greater success. If they have a winning record in the Big 12, that to me feels like That's awesome. the next step. Yeah, because then you're at least seven. At least five, seven wins. If not more. So it kind of goes in that, that order. Make a bowl game, hey, win, you know, finish top eight in the conference, and then above that, it's all gravy, man. Like, it's, it's all Although good. gravy, it, I don't like that phrase because gravy okay, it's is – It's all whipped cream. Gravy it's is all, necessary. It's all cream like, cheese. I need the gravy. It's all whatever it's all your favorite cheese. topping is on your favorite dessert. Yeah. Well, I just want that to be a component, you know. Uh, topic two, expanding the convo out a little. Which BYU teams are ready to compete for a Big 12 championship in year one? We have already spoken about this this week. In fact, we talked to the head coach of said team earlier this week. It's BYU women's soccer. Like, they come to the forefront immediately. And probably because they're one of the first teams to start. But I just feel like they're ready to go right now. They return Basically everybody from a team that went to the Sweet 16 last year and is two years removed from making a run to the national championship match. Like, why would we not expect that team to compete with TCU for a Big 12 championship? I think those TCU is competing with BYU. I think those will be. I think it's that first and second when the preseason poll comes out when the coaches' polls release. I believe that TCU and BYU will be one and two. I believe BYU will be. I hope, I, I hope I they are. I hope they are. I think and the that, coaches that is will quite respect the BYU nod to, that. to say, hey, yep. you're new to the conference, but yep. we straight up think you're I the best. I believe that will happen. So don't be shocked, yeah, if that's the case. But women's soccer and then cross country has such a good thing going. Like, here's a question Was it tougher for cross country in the West Coast Conference than it will be in the Big 12? I feel like they're pretty comparable conferences. Um, Running was Oklahoma State's really good, Iowa State's awesome. Iowa State's good. Okay, yes. Yes. In men's cross country and women's, BYU becomes the best team immediately. Yeah. yeah. So last two years in men, BYU took second and seventh at nationals. Iowa State was seventh and second. The last two years, Oklahoma State 13th. Like, and third. how do they compare to like a Portland? Portland has a great Portland, running program, right? But in men's only. Like women's, they're not a player. Uh, BYU is the be- the the number one teams ready to compete in the Big 12 are cross country, men and women. And then um, outdoor track and field, it goes Texas and then BYU in men, and then mm-hmm. women, BYU's got some competition with Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, um, which is interesting. Yeah, uh, women's volleyball walks in as the second-best team in the league already. You think? They second, really do. In a conference they're, they're that's going to have five teams right in the, last year. Yes, but looking at the last eight years, BYU has consistently been that good. Like, they aren't like Baylor, Kansas. Baylor had a really nice 2019 with mm-hmm. the Final Four. BYU had a nice uh, 2018. I'm talking like Texas is clearly the best team, but BYU is like the second best team by a hair right now. Ooh. So they won't win the title this year, but next year when Texas is gone, 
I think BYU could win the women's volleyball championship in the Big 12. The throne opens up a little bit, and you can go and battle for it. If BYU, yeah, BYU to me is like a one-pin hitter away from competing a little better with Texas. But um, BYU is still going to be really good. Football, you're not competing for a Big 12 title right out of the gate. We hope that soon. Men's basketball is not competing for a Big 12 title right away. We hope that happens at some point later. But um, men's basketball is survival. <laughs> like, that one is just yeah. don't cut the program after w- next year. Women's like, basketball. It, it, they are going to – men's basketball yes. is going to have some nice wins like we've talked about. For since. sure. Marriott Center Magic. <sighs> but that one is like, okay, we, we're going to – brace ourselves for winning a third of the games, which is a weird feeling. But, like, all six of those wins would be really good wins. Yes. Women's basketball, we've said it on the show, now that Lauren Gustin is back, we feel like they're good enough to finish top five, top six. Yes. And give that group, like, two and a half years. It could be something special. And then they could be pretty good. Could be something special. Uh, When you get into the spring sports, softball is so dominated by Oklahoma like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, say, Oklahoma, Texas, Baylor, they're Oklahoma all good. Oklahoma is like the Alabama. No, Oklahoma is better than Alabama. Oklahoma is, is what football. Georgia was last year. Alabama, or Oklahoma is basically a semi-professional softball team. They're they, amazing. They are ridiculous. They, yeah. There's Oklahoma, and then there's a significant gap, and then there's everybody else. Baseball's got a lot of work to do as well in the Big Twelve. The fall sports, it's fun. because Fall sports are better than the spring sports at BYU right now overall. Yeah. I'm not Big Twelve aside, just straight up are. All right. Our question of the day, besides record, how would you gauge success for BYU football's first year in Big 12 play? Tyson Peterson answers on Facebook, I want the Big 12 to see just how much BYU football adds to the conference. They'll see high viewership of games. They'll see how well BYU fans travel. And lastly, they'll see another four or five players taken in the draft. More on that coming up in the whip. Four or five. Okay, we we think we've got pretty good, uh, you know, Chance at three. It's been seven the last three years. Four Man, or five man. would be nice. I, I don't have four or five pinned for next year. So the, the, the football expectations is interesting. And I'll add this final thought, and, and we can get to this later. But with how wide open the Big 12 conference is this year, it seems like it is. You're talking about in football? football. Yeah. Anybody's race. Wait, I thought Texas was back. And, and coming off of what TCU did last year, it, it does add a level of intrigue for every fan base, not just BYU fans. It's like, sure, huh, okay, if it's this wide open, why couldn't our team legitimately compete for a conference championship? Blue goggles are on on that one. Right? Blue I, goggles are on. I, I'm, yeah. just, I'm saying every team. Every, every school should feel like, other than Texas, who has like just annual high expectations. They should. And Oklahoma, like Texas and Oklahoma. Money. Like, the other programs, like UCF, like, I'd be wearing the UCF goggles if I was a UCF fan right now. I would, too. They return, like, more known. Why not? This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with Jerem Jordan. Our first guest today is a man who is trying to create a legacy of being the man 
who normalized wearing untucked polos and Jordans to conference meetings. He is Jeff Hansen. Absolutely. Jeff, how is your venture? How is this uh, new, I guess, ideal that you have put forward in the fashion world? I mean, it's tough because when people don't look at me, they don't see the epitome of fashion. So I've got a real hurdle what? that I have to clear before people start to listen to me. But like comfort over quality or something, <laughs> I don't know. I think people will. I think people will grasp it eventually. Yes, and this season we'll take comfort and quality with BYU football. We've been discussing this in our question of the day, Jeff. What's your opinion on this? Besides record, how will you gauge success in year one of the Big Twelve for BYU football? Competitiveness. I mean, there were games, right? You think back to that Arkansas game that I, I think people want to say it was competitive for a little while, but it really wasn't. You think back to that Liberty game. Uh, and even going back over the last few years, you know, Wisconsin in 2017. I mean, that's that's the kind of like attitude that I think people across the country have about BYU going into next year. Uh, you know, over under win totals are anywhere between four and a half and six at sports books. You've got advanced rankings putting BYU at 13th or 14th in the conference, you know, FPI, things like that. Uh, so I, I think that I think BYU is better than than a, what a lot of those prognostications would have you believe, but I think that the way to really gauge success is competitiveness. Is BYU in games? They may not win every game that they're in, but do they have a chance to win? Is it you know? Are you still watching in the fourth quarter? Have you mm. turned off the TV because it's not a game? It's another yeah interesting metric. Steve Young would call it like an excitement factor. Like does BYU have that ability to engage a viewer and keep you watching to the end of the game? So it's a fun point you bring up. Jeremy and I were just discussing the baseline for success we feel is most notably just making a bowl game, so winning six games, however you can piece that together, whether it's, hey, a hot 3-0 and start and then you find a way to win three games in conference, whatever, just get to six. For me, Jeff, I feel like – a top eight finish in a 14-team conference is is probably the next step up. Like, hey, if you finish top eight in year one, maybe that means you win seven games overall. So where do you stand on win total as far as gauging success, the bowl game topic, and, and where BYU finishes in the place they finish in the Big 12 Conference? Yeah, it, it's a good question, Spencer, because there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it, right? I mean, would, would you feel good with seven wins if two of them were – Texas and Oklahoma, or, you know, if they start off 4-0 and somehow, do you still feel good with seven wins at the end of the season <laughs> if they finish, you know, three and whatever down the stretch? And so it, it's kind of interesting to look at it that way. Um, I, I think I like that top half of the conference. I think that's probably a, a good barometer. The whole conference, really top to bottom, with the exception of uh, uh, really Texas and Oklahoma, but who knows what they are from a year-to-year basis anymore – the rest of the conference, the rest of the new Big 12, there's not a juggernaut. I mean, there's nobody that you're, like, deathly afraid of. Even TCU went to the playoff last year. You're not terrified to play TCU. So it's really tough for me to say in May, right? But if we have to, I like I like the idea of a bowl game, and I like finishing in the top half of the conference. Um, I think that's probably the best way to look at it right now. But honestly, I, I look at the schedule, and I see really a really tough October but then September and November, I think BYU can squeeze out eight wins, and it wouldn't be surprising. I think they could end up with four wins, and that wouldn't be surprising either. But there's a path to eight wins, and we're looking at a pretty good season going into a bowl game. That'd be awesome. And uh, BYU's really got to butter the bread in the first six. Uh, I'm hoping for four in the first six, and then down the stretch it's like, 
okay, yeah, if you could get three or four, that's great. If you only get two, you're making a bowl game, but I really think it's a strong start is important. Um, will you ever expect BYU to not make a bowl game in a season? You mentioned four could happen, but in terms of expecting a BYU team to not make a bowl game, we will always expect them to m- make a bowl game, will we not? I mean, we have to, right? But I, I think a year-to-year, year, I mean, when you look at a roster year-to-year, year, it all comes down to the quarterback position at BYU. I, I think at the, at the Big 12 level, what BYU loses is the ability to win eight games when they get poor quarterback play. Mm. They've, they've always got to play at a high level at that position in order to get to a bowl game. Fortunately, BYU's had really good quarterback play over the last 10 or 15 years, but but we've seen, you go back to you know 2010, uh, and some of those early independent years, there were some up and down quarterback play, and BYU was still able to get to a bowl. Those days are gone. BYU's got to do really, really well at the quarterback position to maintain that level of bowl game expectancy. Well, that leads me into our next question, Jeff, and that is right now, is BYU at the quarterback position ready to compete in the Big 12, in your opinion? With Keaton Slovis, yes. As long as Keaton Slovis is healthy, he's proven in his career that that he can do things at a really high level. Yeah, I mean, the year at Pitt wasn't great, but Pitt isn't great. I mean, other than Kenny Pickett, that's kind of an exception to the rule at Pitt, they really haven't had a ton of quarterback success. So it's hard for me to put too many eggs in that basket. I, I look at what he did at USC, and I think that's much more comparable to the BYU offense, to what Aaron Rodgers going to ask him to do. So as long as Keaton Slovis is healthy, yes, I, I think BYU is ready to roll at quarterback. If he goes down with an injury, there's a ton of talent, right? I, I think Jake Retzloff is great. And I think Ryder Burton, I've been you know banging the drum on the Ryder Burton hype train since he was at Springville, and nobody really believed me. But I think in the spring game, he showed, <laughs> showed enough that people are starting to see, like, well, this kid's got something. And uh, I think they're talented, but you just sometimes talent doesn't translate. Right. And so I wish BYU had more depth. I wish they had a little bit more experience at the quarterback position, because uh, if Slovis goes down, it, it, it's it's a crapshoot at that point. Uh, the talent is certainly there. But, you know, even Zach Wilson struggled in his first year. It was up and down. Right. Northern that Northern Illinois game oh. still like haunts my dreams. Too soon, Jeff. And uh it is. It's been five years, and it's not long enough. <laughs> and that's really what I, I see for BYU if, if Slovis goes down, is you're just going to have those growing pains no matter who that quarterback two is. If only Brady Christensen had scored on that tackle-eligible play, we would have not brought up <laughs> That's right. Okay, BYU has added some pieces from the transfer portal in kind of the post or, or middle of spring, post-spring uh, timeline. Who are some of the most impact players, in your opinion, among that group? I mean, we talked about Slovis. We've talked about Aiden Robbins. I think everybody talks about those guys. Eddie Heckard. Uh, a guy that I'm really excited for that really nobody is talking about right now is Weber State's Jake Icorn. Uh, the dude can play. And uh, he, he played at Beaver High School. He was a max prep small school All-American. Uh, Beaver, I think they were a 2A school at the time. I don't, I don't know what they are now. They might still be 2A. But super small school, nobody really recruited it. And, and BYU didn't have a need to go down to Beaver. They, they could get more proven, more ready-to-play offensive linemen. So, so Jake ends up going to Weber State and immediately breaks into that starting lineup. Jake, Jake Eichhorn's been a Power 5-level player since he was at Beaver. I mean, that's how good he can be. He was just at Beaver, so nobody, nobody saw him. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. He's pretty versatile. 
I, I hope he plays tackle, but I think he has the ability to slide inside if they need him to. And that versatility, the ability to be multiple across the offensive line, I think is going to get Jake Eichhorn on the field, maybe not in the starting lineup on week one, but if there's an injury, I think Jake is one of the first guys that, that Coach Funk is looking at to fill the void. Hey, we've got love for Beaver High School. Didn't we see a Beaver High School quarterback playing the Rose Bowl not too long ago? Correct me That's if I'm true. wrong, Jeff. Okay, so... That, that's true. There we go. We don't have to spend any more time talking yeah, about we don't where care that about quarterback that. plays right now. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just giving credit to the Beaver High School Beaver football program. Okay, uh, Jeff, <laughs> I, I do want to know and get your take on where BYU is most ready by position to compete in the Big 12. If it's not quarterback, we already talked about Keaton Slovis in the quarterback position. You said you wanted more depth. Where is BYU most ready? from a skill standpoint and depth standpoint, to compete in the Big 12? Uh, it's the offensive line, and I don't, I don't think it's particularly close. I mean, that, that group is ready to roll. They are a – every sense of the word, they're a Big 12 group. I mean, from the, from the first-round type talent, they've got that in Kingsley. They, you know, Connor Pay could work his way there. Caleb Etienne, he could certainly work his way into the draft too. So they've got the top-end talent. And, and realistically, guys, I think that BYU probably goes 10 or 12 deep at the offensive line by the time fall camp is over. That's that's quality depth, right? I mean, that's not you've got six guys and your your sixth man is a rover who's going to have to play somewhere. You, you've got two solid units that I think Aaron Roderick would feel really comfortable with in any, you know, any given game on any given week. So the offensive line and it's not close. And then on the defensive side of the ball. I really like BYU safeties. I, people have been kind of worried about the safety spot, but you add Raider Demuni into that mix. Talon Alfrey shake it, uh, you know, had a year to shake off the mission rust. Preston Rex is there, and then obviously led by Malik Moore and Micah Harper. I think that's five really quality safeties. And then at that six, you know, safety six, you've got guys with experience like Ethan Slade. So. Uh, the safety position on defense, I think, is a, in a really good spot, and that, that offensive line is, is going to be in the top half of the Big 12. Give us a sense of uh, where BYU has focused and, and what positions they're looking at and, and assessing for the 2024 recruiting class. 2024 has been interesting. Uh, I've had a lot of questions that have come my way uh, from fans looking for more commitments, you know, more offers going out like why is there not more action in the 2024 class you know here we are in may and there's only three uh, three kids who are currently committed and it's interesting uh, this has been like the weirdest recruiting cycle for byu you look at all of the attrition that they had in the transfer portal all of the new additions jay hill has essentially working with aaron Roderick, right they've added a full recruiting class almost uh, out of the transfer portal here in the last, you know, 90 days or so. They, they've been working hard on 2023, even though it's May. And, and so as they start to turn the page to 2024, I think you're going to see a huge emphasis on on edge rushers, really having length to, to secure the edge, to get after the quarterback. I, I had a player who told me a, a few weeks ago that, that Coach Hill, Coach Papinga, they have a really simple philosophy on the defense for the defensive ends. It's get to the quarterback, and if you're not getting to the quarterback, you're not going to play, period. Like you, you have one job, and that's it. And I think they need to load that stable room with more guys who can get to the quarterback, or I don't know who's going to play. So I think you're going to see a pretty big emphasis there. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, they need they need a lot of skill positions. They just they, BYU needs to have more speed. That's not really an indictment on the roster as it is, but more of a, a – 
projection into the fast Big 12 conference with these high-powered offenses. You're going to have to score. You're going to have to have a ton of speed, and you're going to have to have a, a ton of depth at your playmakers uh, to, to hang in November when Oklahoma State wants to you know, run up the score to a 50-plus point game. It's, it's going to be tough. Fantastic analysis from Jeff Hansen of the 24-7 Sports Network. Jeff, we always appreciate the time. And to quote your tweet, the sports jacket or suit expectation needs to be burned with fire. We wish you the best in that venture, my friend. <laughs> from your mouth to God's ears, Spencer. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Oh, great personality. Jeff Hansen on BYU Sports Nation. I do love an untucked polo. I've been untucking the polo for a long time. We did a photo shoot uh, like in the fall, and they were like, hey, does he have to tuck in the polo? I go, I'm not going to tuck in the polo. Just, I'm sorry. I'm going to be that guy. It's your thing. It's your style. I don't want to. It's your style. I mean, you're a gold chain, untucked polo guy, right? That's how I roll, apparently. Uh, If you miss any interviews, uh, Deep Blues, fashion advice from Jeff Hansen, shows or games, you can find them on BYUSN.com or download the free BYU TV app. On the way, why is Robert Griffin III so pumped for the new EA Sports college football video game. Like, maybe the most excited of anyone. It's awesome. This is BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. We're live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. Jerem Jordan alongside Dave McCann. He has been called this, so we're sticking to this. We now welcome to the program America's college football insider, Brett McMurphy from Amelia Island, Florida, where he's been at the ACC spring meetings. Hostile meeting. <laughs> yeah, apparently pretty interesting. Brett, thanks for joining the program. How are you doing? Good. Good to get good to talk with you guys again. Um, this might be a first that I'm on with you guys that you're not going to harass me about. Is BYU getting into a conference or not? So I guess we, we, can move, we can move on to the second subject. We are happily Whatever engaged, yeah, uh, to the Big 12. We, we look forward to July 1st, which is awesome. Okay, you, you put out a, a couple pieces of information that uh, directly or indirectly affect BYU. So let's start with the Independence Bowl. That's going to become a Big 12 Bowl. BYU already had a tie there. Um, do you think that's just a coincidence, or was the league, do you think, like, hey, this is already a thing, let's just make it happen in 23, and then we'll add 25 as well. You know, that, that's one of my big regrets. I should have put BYU somewhere else because they, they're not locked in to independence. It just turned out that way on my goal projection. So basically, um, yeah, you guys are free to go wherever you want within the Big 12 bowl lineup. But I actually had, um, you know, with the, you know, obviously the, the Big 12 champ, if they don't get into the playoff, they will go to a New Year's Six game. That is guaranteed. So that's one team that will get pulled up at least. Again, if you have multiple teams in the top 12, then you can get another at-large spot. So after those spots, then after that, the Big 12 is guaranteed seven more bowl spots. And I think I had actually – I think I had 10 potential Big 12 um, bowl partners, or excuse me, bowl eligible teams, and so you know BYU could end up in a Big Twelve bowl, or they could get you know scattered somewhere else. It's interesting that uh, that you started with your opening thoughts of of being dogged by BYU for not being in a conference, 
uh, and then they get into a conference, and then you come out and you, as you mentioned, put them back in the Independence Bowl, which, <laughs> which has your readers, and a lot of them are BYU fans, going, come on, Brett, what's going on with this? But now you're saying they could go anywhere. Absolutely, and the good news is, you know, it's only May, and I'll have <laughs> approximately four, 14 more bowl projections. Don't worry about the first 13, because, you know, that's a coin flip. But I've fortunate, lucky, both, whatever it is. But the, the last one that comes out on Sunday, uh, you know, before the, uh, the New Year's Six games are announced, I'm hitting about 90%. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I can continue that. So that last Sunday, I'd, I'd be concerned if you're in the Independence Bowl at that time. But if you happen to be in the Independence Bowl in August, September, October, November projections, I wouldn't worry to. I wouldn't lose much sleep over it. That's good to know. So the next 13 polls will just kind of. We'll, ju- we'll just take just a casual look. Yeah. He's the Joe Lenardi of bullitology. Uh, <laughs> Brett McMurphy is on BYU Sports Nation. Is there a sense that the payout of that bowl will become more uh, Power Five like since it's a Pac-12, Big 12 game this year and in 25? Actually, no. I, I and I don't know the specific payout, but I'm 99% sure it's going to stay the same. Um, it just now has the um, you know ability to draw from the pack. Excuse me, from the Big 12. And as you guys know, um, you know, I guess the, the Independence Bowl, you know, officially announced it yesterday that they will be Big 12 aligned this year. And then in 25, and then in 24, they are not affiliated with the Big 12. So then the Big 12 would actually lose a bowl guarantee. So, yeah, these contracts are already in place. Maybe the Big 12 can redo it to get more money out of it. If that happens, then I think you would see some sort of announcement where the Big 12 gets the Independence Bowl for the next three years. But right now they only get two of the final three. Brett, you reported that the Big Ten is considering dropping their Power Five non-conference requirement, uh, soften up the schedule a bit so they can get more teams maybe in that expanded playoff at the end of the year. Do you think that's going to happen, and what ripple effect will that have with the other P5s, and could it eventually get in the way of BYU-Utah out here as a non-conference game? Uh, well, not until Utah joins the Big Ten, so I think you're you're safe for a while. <laughs> but you know what I mean. In the if the other if one league does it, it seems like the others follow suit, and well, then that would have it. So here's here's one big difference. So the the Big Ten has nine conference games. That's not going to change, and they kind of have this rule. And it's funny. It's it's a, you talk to anybody within the Big Ten, and it's called a quote unquote requirement. Yet every school doesn't abide by that requirement. They get, you know, um, exemptions to include other teams to count as their P5 requirement, including BYU, um, before you guys got into the Big 12. The ACC right now, they're sitting at at eight conference games. The SEC in two weeks will make a decision whether to stay at eight conference games or go to nine conference games in 2024 when OU and Texas come aboard. So if those guys – stay at eight, I think you'll continue to see the ACC and the SEC, they do have the requirement to play one P5 non-conference. If they do go up to nine at some point, they may get rid of that because basically when you're at an eight-game schedule and you have the one non-conference P5, then you're 
basically guaranteeing nine Power Five opponents. So if you go to nine conference games, you're at that nine number already. Um, and a lot of people don't like making that ten again because, in theory, um, and that's one reason why they're kind of going back and forth on whether at a ninth conference game. That means half of the teams in the league you're giving another win, but the other half of the conference is getting another loss, and now you get into worrying about teams can get bowl eligible and those sort of things. So, I mean, look, you know, I I, I think I've joked with you guys before. I mean, BYU, the, the heavy lifting's over. It, you know, I don't know how Tom Homo did it scheduling 12 teams as an independent, but um, I saw him in Arizona um, last week at the – at the Big 12 and Pac-12 meetings in Scottsdale, and I joked with him. I said, you know, he what does he have, like 363 days a year off now? Because schedule's done. <laughs> schedule's three games a year. You sit by the pool, hang out, you know, go check out the mountains. Um, but, no, it's is going to be fine. And, obviously, being in the Power Five, being in a conference that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty going on here with the ACC, you know, we're still waiting to see what happens with the Pac-12. BYU could have some new members in the in the Big 12 in a in a year or so. We'll have to see what happens. Um, BYU is in, in a great great position going forward. Well, Tom's enjoying Istanbul, Turkey, the next couple of days with the women's volleyball team, so he's at least <laughs> getting that kind of break. He's uh, getting out of town, Brett. But um, let's yeah. talk about the uh, topic du jour the last uh, week or two, which. You've been at spring meetings for several conferences. You mentioned you were in Arizona. The Pac-12 and Big 12 met in the same place, like across the hall almost essentially, it sounds like. What's the vibe you got from those conversations as those two continue to kind of gauge in each other passive-aggressively? It's basically, at this point, it's um, everyone's waiting for the Pac-12. You know, what, what kind of deal are they going to get or – are any of the schools going to leave the league before they get the meteorites? You guys have probably seen all the interviews with various athletic directors and, and presidents with the, within the Pac-12. And they're all, you know, we're all committed. We're, you know, confident we're going to have a new deal, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. But what, what do you expect them to say? They're not going to say, Hey, you know what? We don't like this. We're gonna, but we're gonna leave in, in two months from now. Everyone's committed till they're not committed. Um, so I think that's why it's imperative that the, the Pac-12 gets this deal done as soon as possible. Because not only is there a, I think a real threat that some Pac-12 schools could come to the Big 12 if it continues to drag on and on. But then you've got the other factor with Oregon and Washington and possibly, you know, the Big Ten can ever get enough money that they may seek those guys out too. And then the Pac-12 is really in a, in a tough spot if that all happens. Brett McMurphy with us on BYU Sports Nation. Brett, if you were the commissioner of the Pac-12, uh, is there any way you would trust Oregon and Washington in anything that they say moving forward now that they've been quite clear that they want to go to the Big Ten? Well, no. Uh, no, there's not. But I, I will say this. If I was a commissioner of any conference, I would. It doesn't matter who the Well, did we lose him? 
the pack the pack 12 have cut the phone lines uh they did not want that <laughs> they, out there they cut the phone lines and we lost him i was yeah. really eager to hear what he was about to yeah. say that's yeah. like ultimate cliffhanger yeah if i would say this <laughs> join the conversation 24 7 on twitter instagram and facebook using the hashtag byusn the best of byu sports nation rolls on after this Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to Studio B. Jason, Dave, pleasure. Uh, let's get to today's headline, shall we, Dave? We, we have so much to talk about yes, on we this do. Friday. As first reported by College Hoops analyst Rocco Miller, men's basketball are going to play at the Delta Center on December 1st against Fresno State. That's when Christmas around the world moves into the Marriott Center, and that's when the boys move out. Is that the Steve uh, Cleveland Bowl? And the Bowl? women's team as well. Uh, it could be the Steve <laughs> Cleveland Bowl. He still lives in Fresno. Yeah. Uh, coached at Fresno. Loves BYU coached here. Yeah, well, let's call it the Cleveland Bowl. Here's a look at some of the non-conference schedule that's already in place. Still waiting for the Big 12, but uh, I talked with uh, Nick Robison the other day, and they are pumped about what they got developing on the floor and you see on paper it's a pretty good schedule. I love the fact that BYU and San Diego State have been able to schedule each other pretty consistently over the last couple of years. That, that's, that was one of the great yeah. um, games back when they were in the same conference. So to be able to continue that, obviously still having the University of Utah on the schedule, you know, that's big for both schools and obviously for the local community. And the Vegas showdown. Yeah, Vegas showdown. B5s. Yeah, it's really starting to come together. I, look, when <laughs> we know how big Big 12 basketball is. So to be able to see that schedule when it comes out in its entirety is going to be pretty remarkable. And we love playing in Salt Lake, that's home away from home. Absolutely. Along with Vegas. That's right. We're two homes away from home. That's true. Well, the night started out in grand fashion for BYU baseball. There he goes. That one's high. That one's deep. That one's a grand slam. Cole Gamble with a senior memory for the ages clears the bases. BYU baseball ended up winning the game 13-7 last night at Miller Park to keep their postseason hopes alive. We left the ballpark feeling pretty good because at the time, Gonzaga was leading Santa Clara 4-1 late in that ballgame. And that's what uh, the Cougars needed. They needed to sweep this series and they needed Santa Clara to be swept by Gonzaga. So last night started out pretty good. However, about an hour after the game, Santa Clara rallied for four runs in the bottom of the ninth to beat the Zags five to four. Uh, the Broncos win eliminates BYU from having a chance to make the conference tournament. That means that tonight and tomorrow's games will wrap up the Cougars season. So don't forget to join Dave, Gary, and myself tonight for uh, for BYU and Pepperdine game two at eight Eastern on the BYU TV and BYU radio apps. But what a fun night and some uh, some first, or at least one's a first, one we thought was a first, but it didn't turn out to be. Inside the Parker and a Grand Slam. Uh, yeah. Sometimes though, when you dig yourself into a deep <laughs> hole, you stay in the hole. Yeah. And BYU just did that all season. They needed some miraculous things from Santa Clara, and they're not going to get it. And so we play for the love of the game tonight right. and tomorrow and, and then set our course for the Big 12. Softball, BYU beat San Jose State 5-2 in the National Invitation Softball Tournament going on in Fort Collins, Colorado. Today, the Cougars take on Maryland. 
2 o'clock Eastern time in the winner's bracket. Staying with softball, Hunter Ava and Ilana Agbayani were named to the NFCA Pacific All-Region third team. Congratulations to both. Track and field, 64 entries in the next week's West Regionals. That's the second most in program history for the men. 36 entries, that's the most that they've ever done. Hey, they're chasing championships. That's what BYU does. The men are ranked number nine in the country, the women number 20, heading into the regionals. Men's steeplechaser Kenneth Rooks was named to the Bowerman Watch List, which is given out each year to the nation's most outstanding male and female track and field athlete. Rooks is just the third men's athlete ever at BYU named to the watch list. All right, those are today's headlines. Now let's whip it. Cougar Whip Around is presented by Maersk your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. As you mentioned, game of first last night for a pair of BYU seniors, Austin Deming's first inside the park home run, and Cole Gamble's first collegiate grand slam. They were both very dramatic. Uh, what was the most impressive of the two? I think, look, I, 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 I love both of these young men. Uh, please don't get upset with me, Cole Gamble, on, but the inside the park home run was unbelievable. And because off the bat, Everybody thought it was going to be a flyout. Right. So you have Austin Deming getting to first and then realizing the ball gets past the outfielder and rolls all the way to the wall and he has to turn on the burners and it was that was so much fun to watch. I I, I told you guys on the broadcast last night, even minutes after when I was talking to him, he was still out of breath. So for me, that's the most impressive, but both are really awesome. Absolutely, and, and a big guy with a big swing can hit a ball a long ways, but for an inside the park, all kinds of crazy has to happen. That's right. And so uh, both were fun. Yeah. We're curious to see what they're going to do tonight on the broadcast. That's right. Leads us to the stat of the day. BYU's hit 73 home runs. BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU's hit 73 home runs this season compared to 47 last year. Deming leads the team with 16. Last year he had five and still made first team all-conference. What a difference. The guy's getting ready for Major yeah. League Baseball. That, to have an increase of almost 30 home runs from one season to the next with essentially the same guys there? Yeah. I mean, the guys that are hitting your home runs this year, Deming, Gamble, Wilk, Sapiti. Sapiti we're all on the roster last year. So to have that kind of uptick, that's pretty remarkable. What's interesting is there none, none of them are going to be on the roster next year. <laughs> They're all, they'll all be honored tomorrow for Senior Day. Yeah. All right, this weekend brings an end of competition for BYU in the West Coast Conference. Uh, the Cougars will officially join the Big 12 on July 1st. Make sure you, you mark your calendar. Put it in your Franklin Day Planner if you still have one. Uh, was membership in the WCC, everything you hoped it would be as far as sports are concerned. You know, I think BYU wins the Commissioner's Cup every year. Yeah. And so a as a whole, it's been pretty good. And it's been a, and a great place for BYU to be while they're hoping for somewhere else. Everyone wants to have beaten Gonzaga more often, but yeah. BYU still beat them more than most. Uh, but yeah, I think it was a great place for, for what it was. Yeah, for what it was, I, I agree with you. The way I look at it is, it was never where BYU wanted to be, but it was a good landing spot for the situation that they had. But it was always a holding place for where BYU wanted to go. So for what it was, it, it was what BYU needed. We showed you at the top of the broadcast Keaton Slovis' first pitch last night before the baseball game. We also wanted to show you Jerem Jordan's from the past and ask you which one did it better. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna evaluate these. Well, let's see these. 
Okay, first of all, the suit? Yeah, first of all, that was a young Jeremy. He didn't know better. In fact, he got called into HR after this pitch. You can always tell how old a picture is by Jeremy's hair. <laughs> um, I'm voting for Slovis just based on what I'm seeing right there. Yeah, it's it's Slovis with, look, Slovis got it over the plate. Jeremy one-hopped it. See here, now here's Keaton. High yes, but still at least got it. To, to Brett Hansen, who was catching him. And he told you afterwards, <laughs> I just didn't want to put it in the dirt. That's right. Nice that's, job, Keith. That's right. All right, coming up, quarterback Jake Retzloff joins us in Studio B. Why did he choose BYU? Well, you know what? We'll ask him. This is BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Our question of the day, which side of the football has improved the most for BYU through the transfer portal? Our elite voice of the day is presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated, and this comes in uh, via Instagram from Caleb McKay. Caleb says, while the offense has brought in more needed key players, they are not necessarily an improvement on last year's team. On the defensive side of the ball is where we see the talent level actually increasing, especially on the defensive line, and that's kind of that's kind of how I looked at it as well. That's a good I, point. Look, and look, the, the beauty is you brought in a lot of talent on both sides of the football. Both will be benefited. Yeah. Let's see, September. September. <laughs> there we go. But I like that. I'm yeah. the defense. All right, today's Rise and Shoutout presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. The BYU women's volleyball team currently on a foreign trip and made a stop in Turkey. While there, they did some work with Turkish and Syrian refugee young women playing volleyball with them and having a Q&A session as well. Way to go, BYU women's volleyball. Very cool. Enter to learn. Go for it to serve. There we go. That's right. Uh, our thanks to today's guests, the quarterbacks. It was a quarterback day here on BYU Sports Nation. Thanks to Riley Nelson as well as Jake Rutzloff, who we just talked to. Conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Again, we're everywhere, uh, and we hope you take advantage of it. This and all our shows on demand at BYUSN.com. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.